Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Well, good morning, everyone. I am very thankful that you decided to tune in with us this morning. I'm very thankful to be able to gather together here um, online and open up the Word of God together. It's an incredible privilege that we have, and I am uh, excited to get started. We are, this morning, going to be diving back into our series in Colossians. And so, I know it's been a while since we've looked at the pages of Colossians, so uh, we'll do just a brief recap, and then we'll dive back in. So if you want to go ahead and grab your Bible, turn over to Colossians chapter 2. We're going to be reading 16 through 23 this morning, Uh, but before we do that, let's kind of refresh our memories and recap what we have seen so far. Um, So... While we're doing that and while we're heading into a recap, I do want to remind you, and maybe some of you aren't even aware, but we do have a YouTube channel for New Life Baptist Church, and we also have a podcast called New Life in the Word. And so all of our teaching lessons, all of the sermons, uh, you can find all of it on the YouTube channel if you want to watch the video, or you can go to the podcast, that way you can play it back in your car or while you're uh, cleaning the house or whatever it is. That way you can catch up if you missed a, missed a, a message or if you want to refresh your memory, um, you can go back and play it back. Um, the links for all of that are in the description there. Now, to refresh our memories for the book of Colossians, uh, let's remember that this book was written to battle against false teaching. There was false, false teaching that was creeping in and threatening the believers there in the church of Colossae. And so Paul took pen to paper to battle against the false teaching. And his main strategy, his main weapon of choice in this battle against false teaching was not to say those guys are a bunch of uh, uh, you-know-whats or saying you know, crazy things about the false teaching. His strategy was to exalt Christ and to lift Christ up and to really portray and show the Colossians that Christ is all. And that's where we get the title for this series is Christ is all. We'll see that verse in chapter 3 once we get there in a few weeks. Uh, The last section that we did was chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. And what we were studying there is that Paul was, was talking about baptism, the significance of the Christian rite of baptism. And he's saying that you signify that you have died with Christ, and then when you come back from the waters, you're signifying that you are raised back up to newness of life in Christ. 
We talked about the spiritual circumcision, uh, the circumcision without hands that is performed by Christ, that in the new birth, in regeneration, Christ performs a spiritual surgery on your heart, cutting away your old nature and giving you a new nature that now loves him and desires to please him. And then he went on to talk about the work that Christ performed on the cross in his substitutionary atonement, bearing our sins on the cross, and that that record of debt that was standing against us has now been canceled because it was nailed to the cross of Christ. Thanks be to God for that, right? So tonight, or I'm sorry, this morning, we're going to be back in uh, looking at verses 16 through 23. We're going to finish up chapter 2, and then next week when we begin chapter 3, we're going to see a real big shift in the mood and the the, uh, focus of the letter. So without further ado, let's go ahead and read 2, 16 through 23. This is the word of God. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head." from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here this morning and open up your word, Lord, we really, really need your Holy Spirit to open up our minds and our ears and our eyes to behold beautiful, wonderful things in your word that we have not seen and that we have not known. God, I pray that I would serve as nothing more than just a vessel that you use to communicate your word to your people, Lord, for your glory. I pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we look at our text, and let's remember that what we're doing is we're going verse by verse and line by line to break down the Word of God. And as we look at what's going on here, we see uh, Paul finishing up really his his, uh, direct attack against false teaching and his direct mention of false teaching. Now we know that Paul was writing to defend against false teaching, but we don't really know what it was exactly that was being taught. What we do know is that it appears to have been a big melting pot of a bunch of different ideas, that they took a little bit of this and a little bit of that and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and they just made one big 
uh, belief system out of it. Kind of reminds me of when I've heard about my um, tias or abuelas talking about how to make tamales or menudo. And they say, well, mijo, all you have to do is uh, un poquito de eso, y un poquito de eso, y un poquito de eso, y eso. And there's not really anything specific. It's just a little bit of everything. And it goes in to make these delicious tamales. But this false teaching was certainly not delicious, but it was filled with a little bit of everything. It was a big mix of, of all kinds of beliefs. And as we see from what we've been reading, there was a, a bit of Jewish, uh, the Mosaic law that was in the mix here. In our section, we see that uh, what we're dealing with here is legalism. So let's look at verse 16. It starts off with our favorite word. I know you know it. It's therefore. And what are we supposed to do, class? Anytime we see the therefore, we need to ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. And in this case, we know that what Paul means is because your spiritual fullness is in Christ, do not let anyone impose upon you a plan for spiritual development that does not have Christ as its focus. We'll say that again. Because your spiritual fullness is in Christ, do not let anyone impose upon you a plan for spiritual development that is not focused on Christ. We'll see in great detail that that's what was happening here in Colossae. It was very common in the early church that people with a, a Jewish background would try to implement parts of the Mosaic law into Christian living and into the Christian belief system. Unfortunately, though, this got out of hand, and now people began to use the Jewish laws of food and drink and holidays and special observances of days. And they were saying that if you don't do these things, you're actually not a Christian. If you don't uh, observe the, the ceremonial laws, you're not a Christian. If you don't uh, 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 stay away from, from this certain type of food or drink, uh, you're not a Christian. And as we know, that is certainly not the case. They were trying to enforce the Torah law on new Christians who have been saved by grace. Another aspect of this teaching was that in order to be truly righteous or truly pure before God, that you had to follow the food and drink laws and all of the various holidays and festivals. Paul is urging these Colossians to not let these people who are, who are bringing in this false doctrine, this false teaching, he says, do not let these people judge you. Isn't that bizarre? Usually we're on the opposite end of that, of don't judge other people. But now, because of what's going on in Colossae, Paul says, don't let them judge you. Why? Not because they're so fantastic, but because all of these teachers that they were facing were bringing in a false doctrine that intended to lure them away from Christ, 
So he said, don't pay attention to them. Don't listen to them. Don't allow them to judge you. Don't feel condemnation under them. Don't allow them to sit in a place where they now rule over you with authority and can tell you when you're right and you're wrong because they are wrong. He says in verse 17 that these things, these things of the law are but a shadow Paul Hare says all of these things are but a shadow, but the substance belongs to Christ. To help us understand what Paul is getting at, let's, let's try to remember what it was like being outside. I don't know if you remember, but there's a thing called outside. And there's this big ball of fire that sits in the, the sky, and it's called the sun. And this sun shines light on the outside. I don't know if you remember what that was like. Anyway, whenever you're standing outside and the sun is out in the middle of the sky or wherever it is, you cast a shadow. There is a shadow now because you are blocking that light from hitting that part of the ground. And this is what Paul is likening this false teaching to, is they're standing in this shadow. A person can move their arms back and forth, and that shadow will mimic the movements of that person, right? The, a person can embrace another person in, in, in a hug, and that shadow will mimic the movements of their subjects. But the difference here is that you can't go and touch the shadow. You can't go and grab the arm or the hand or embrace the shadow because it's just a shadow. It's, it's, it's immaterial. It's, it's nothing more than a silhouette or a, a vague representation of the subject. In the same way, the law, the Mosaic law, though it served a purpose then and even still does today, was only a shadow of the real thing. It is merely the silhouette, the vague representation of the substance who is Christ. Christ is the substance. Christ is the fulfillment of this law. Now, let's not be tempted to, to think that, well, the law is of no value and the law is pointless. The law still carries much weight and is very valuable to us even today. The law teaches us of our sinfulness. It teaches, it taught then and it teaches now that we are sinful beyond comprehension it teaches us that we do not ever live up to the righteous requirement of that law. It does this while simultaneously teaching us of the holiness of God and the nature of God and what he's like and what pleases him. Namely, that he is holy and he expects us to be holy. However, this law is only the shadow as it only teaches us what righteousness is, but it does not empower us to live in righteousness. It does not empower us to become righteous. This is why in the law and apart from regeneration and the perfect work of Christ, we all stand condemned according to the law because we could not fulfill this law. And it's that law that the, the teachers in Colossae were coming in and saying, no, you still have to obey this law. Now, mind you, 
We still follow the moral law, right? We still follow do not lie, that you shouldn't lie, that you shouldn't covet, that you shouldn't commit adultery. We still follow those laws, but the difference is that now if you are in Christ You don't follow laws written on a piece of paper. Christ has given you a heart that now has his laws written all over it. So you obey those laws because it comes from the heart. This is the big difference between what was being taught and what the actual Christian life is like. Hebrews 10, 1 And this is so fitting that Brandon, if you've been keeping up with the verses of the day, Brandon has been going through Hebrews, doing brief devotionals. And it's so fitting that that we're covering this today because Hebrews 10.1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. You see, because the law only served as a shadow of that which was to come, it was foretelling the coming of the Messiah. Now this is the problem with simply following some religion is that it just becomes a set of rules and standards that that do nothing more than mimic the substance. They're just a shadow. They mimic the movements of the actual substance. The same way that the shadow is a vague representation of its subject, so are religious rules a vague representation of Christ. Christ is the fulfillment. Christ is the substance. Indeed, Christ is all. But let's flesh this point out a little bit more. We won't turn there, but in in, in Ezra chapter 9, we find this story of, of the prophet falling to his knees, mourning, feeling incredible guilt, tearing his clothes, and he's fasting. He just has incredible grief upon him because of the sins of his people. What religion will tell you is that in order to get God's attention, what you need to do is go tear your clothes and sit in sackcloth and ashes. And what you need to do is abstain from food. And what you need to do is cry a lot. And that's how you get God to answer your prayers. This is legalism. This is religiosity. Is that it tries to mimic the outward appearance. It is mimicking because it's merely a shadow. But you see what religiosity fails to see every single time is that it's always been about the heart. Religion, legalism can mimic the movements, can mimic the outward actions of a Christian's life, but it can never replicate what happens in the heart. This is what Christ came for. This is what it's all about You see, religion can mimic the motions and the movements, 
But really the, the issue there with Ezra was that he was grieving in his heart before the Lord. His heart was rent before the Lord. He wasn't trying to put on a show. It wasn't a a performance. It wasn't about trying to get God to, to do something that he wanted. He was genuinely grieved over the sin of the people. And this is something that religion and legalism cannot replicate. Aren't we just like this, though? Aren't we exactly like this? I know that there's probably not a lot of people today that are pushing the old ceremonial laws of, uh, from the Mosaic law, saying that you have to follow them, or, or saying that you have to honor the Passover or, the, or the, uh, whatever, of all of the feasts. But we do try to mimic Christian behaviors, don't we? We sure do substitute the substance for the shadow so often. We might not be trying to follow Jewish law, but we often pass off Christian duty for Christian devotion. We do Christian things to look Christian, but we are only standing in the shadow of the substance. We'll go to church and we'll raise our hands and we might even cry because we're trying to mimic what it looks like to be a Christian. We go to Facebook and we post uh, verses, a verse of the day or a sermon from someone because we're trying to look Christian. We tell our friends and our family, hey, I'm praying for you. Though we have no intention to pray, we haven't spoken to God in months because we want to look Christian. We're replacing Christian devotion with Christian duty. And these two are not the same. You see, the problem is that we're feigning the Christian life because we are missing what gives the Christian life. That's Christ. I'll say that again. We, are, we feign the Christian life because we are missing what gives the Christian life, who is Christ, and he is the substance. Everything else is just the shadow. Everything else is just a vague representation of Christ. As God says in Isaiah chapter 29, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let's move on. As we look at verses 18 through 19, legalism is not the only thing that plagues the church. There's also a group of people who put an emphasis on spiritual experience. So as we look at verse 18, we're we're looking now at the other side of what this false teaching was about. Now, this verse can be a bit difficult to understand because if I have the ESV, you might have the NASB or NIV, and your Bible says something totally different than mine. As I studied this, it really looks like all of the Bible translations are saying the right thing. The word that they're trying to translate, the thought that's being translated, is a little bit of everything. So let's break that down so I can show you what I mean. 
an element of what's being believed was practiced at that time had to do with extreme bodily discipline. That's why my ESV Bible says asceticism. But if you have the NIV or the NASB, you don't see that word there. But there was, there was a practice of extreme bodily discipline in an effort to achieve a spiritual experience. They would say if you would fast for X amount of hours or days, then you could go into the temple and you would have an encounter with these angels or with these gods. But there was also a teaching that if, um, uh, called self-abasement. If you have the NASB, you see self-abasement. And what this meant is that they were putting themselves really low. And there's a similar thought in that with the NIV that says they delighted in false humility. What's being expressed here, because you then see the worship of angels, what's being expressed here is that they were trying to worship these angels and come to these angels and and pray to these angels because they thought, well, if I just humbled myself so much, To the point where I now can't go directly to God, but I pray instead through an extra mediator, then God will hear my prayers because he's going to hear the prayers of an angel. Does that sound familiar to something that happens today or not? I'll let you decide. But you see, what's happening is that they're they're putting the importance where it doesn't belong. They're putting importance on extreme bodily discipline. That is important, but they're selling this as the main driving force of the Christian life. In reality, what was taking place is that these teachers would would go into these trances and they would see these, these visions. They'd have these spiritual experiences, if you will. And that's why it says that they're going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. Unfortunately, we see this quite a bit today. These kinds of practices take place in what we call today the New Age or New Thought. And I know that you might think of that term and think of like hippies sitting in the park somewhere staring at apples. But that's not just all that New Age is. The New Age has crept in with a vengeance into the church today. If you've ever been to um, certain denominations of a church, you've seen the pastor get up and the first words out of his mouth are, I have a revelation from the Lord this morning, and he's claiming some special direct revelation from God himself as though God spoke directly to him out with something that was outside of the scriptures. I won't mention his name but there's a famous pastor whose uh, his name sounds like Shmuel Shmostein, and he is known for teaching about making these declarations over your life and, and believing certain things so much that you then draw goodness to you. You attract goodness by thinking good things. Folks, that is a New Age teaching. You will find that nowhere in Scripture. And this is running rampant in our, uh, in our churches today. You hear people say, name it and claim it. You hear people say that, uh, uh, you hear about the word of faith movement, that it's all about your faith, that your faith can do all these marvelous things. And what we're doing is we're making 
the, the Christian life about everything else except for Christ. We're, we're putting our faith and our, our focus and our, our main motivation in our heart in things that are not Christ. This does happen in the church today, but you don't have to believe me. You can go research it for yourself. Don't take my word for it. It is everywhere. It's out there today. Some of the biggest names in churches today teach these sorts of things. And what we're seeing here from this passage is that this is old. This isn't a new thing that's going on. These aren't new heresies creeping into the church. They just get recycled every so often. They just get redone and renamed and called something else. They put some lipstick on it and try to sell it and pass it off as, as the real thing. But it's only a shadow. It's only a vague misrepresentation of the substance, which is Christ. So what is the root of the problem? What's the big deal? Why is this a big deal? Why are you making a big deal of this, Matt? Let's look at verse 19. Let's just read verse 19. He says, And not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together, through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. What's the big deal with these practices? is that these people are holding fast to something other than Christ. And to hold on to anything other than Christ is to hold on to an idol that cannot save you. This is false teaching, is anything that distracts you or that takes your focus off of Christ. Anything that elevates man, elevates rules or regulations or spiritual experiences above Christ or even to the same level as Christ, these are false teachings and you must avoid them. The point of Christian living is not about the religious duty or practice. Those things do not make you godly. What makes you godly is Christ in you. And that's why Paul, before he entered into this section, went in detail to express to the Colossians that, that Christ is in you. And in Christ are found all the riches of knowledge and wisdom. It's already in you, Christian. If you are in Christ, you have no need to go and search through Enneagrams or, or, or palm readings or, or any other sort of thing like that. It's already in you. Christ in you. This is the hope of glory. This is the hope that Christians have. And this is the hope that cannot be replicated by legalism or by spiritual experience. You see, Christ in you is what produces the fruits of good works. You can't put the fruit before the root. I know that's really profound, isn't it? You can't put the fruit before the root. Think about it. Have you ever been in a park when all of a sudden there was an apple that appeared before you? And out of that apple, a, a stem grew 
and out of that stem, a, a, a limb, and then out of that limb, a branch, and then out of that branch, a tree trunk, and out of that tree trunk, then roots shot, shot down into the ground? Have you ever seen that? Well, of course not. Of course that's an absurd illustration because the fruit is not what produces the tree. It's not, a fruit does not grow outside of the tree. The fruit is born from the tree. And then that fruit can then go replicate other trees. But it starts from the tree, the roots being down in Christ. That is what bears the fruit of good works in your life. And whenever we try to fake the fruit, it's sour. You know what happened to the fig tree that didn't bear figs. But as we see in this verse, when we hold fast to Christ, that is when we grow. It is now God working in and among us that produces the fruits that please him. It is Christ in us that causes us to be more loving and merciful. And the experience then that we search for is, is just more of Christ. It's, it's not these crazy visions and these crazy, these crazy experiences. It's just give me more Jesus, period. However I must have him, give me more Jesus. This is the difference between Christian duty and Christian devotion. Imagine then if the growth comes from God as we cling to Christ, what becomes of us as we cling to anything else? Well, we just need only to use simple logic to understand that we won't last very long. As we hold fast to the things of this world, as we hold fast to our, our dreams or our, our aspirations or our, our, our jobs or our, or our 401ks or, or anything else, as we hold fast to, to anything other than Christ, what we see is that we will die. Now, if those of you who are listening this morning and you're not in Christ, you've never clung to Christ, you've never held fast to Christ, you've never known Christ, I want you to know that there is hope for you. It is true that apart from Christ, you do stand condemned this very hour under the wrath of God. Because as we dealt with earlier, God sent forth a law and said we must abide by it. And those who broke this law became guilty of, this, uh, of transgressing against his law. And then God set forth the punishment for transgressing against his law and said it is death. And as we find out in, in the book of Romans, all of us have sinned. All of us have broken this law. All of us are guilty of holding fast to something other than Christ. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
He sent forth his son to be a propitiation for our sins. This son, this Jesus Christ, the Messiah, was born fully God and fully man. He lived a perfect life, perfectly adhering to the righteous requirement of this law that you and I are are powerless to fulfill. He did that to be able to go to the cross and, and stand in our place absorbing the holy wrath of God that was stored up for you and for me. And on that cross, this Jesus of Nazareth died. But he didn't stay dead. He was raised back to life and was proven to be the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead. And he is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And he has been given the name above every name. Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Lord of lords. And you, though you stand condemned under the wrath of God right now, if you will repent of your sins and put all of your faith in that perfect, completed work of Jesus Christ and hold fast to him, the scriptures say that you will be saved. Repent and believe the gospel this morning. Let's finish our text. We're going to group together 20 through 23. Uh, Before we get there, actually, um, I want to deal with something very quickly. In verse 19, he says that we grow together, that we're knit together and through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. This is speaking of the body of Christ, which is the church. Allow me to use this as an opportunity to tell you that no man is an island. No Christian grows on his own, unless your name is John the Baptist, in which case that means that you eat honey and locusts which that's probably what we're all eating right now during this pandemic. But none among us were destined to grow on our own in a desert somewhere. All of us have been planted in the vineyard of a local church. So we are part of the the body of Christ at large, and we are also part of the body of Christ locally. I know that during this time, you're live streaming from probably a different, bunch of different churches, and that's fine. I understand we're, we're making do as we can here. But as, as time progresses and, and we get to get back together, I implore you, get involved with a local church. Get involved wherever you are with a local church that, that preaches the word and preaches the gospel. Get involved because God made us for community to be one with another, to be knitted together, as it says in this passage. And when we are unified, all holding fast to Christ, it is God himself who grows that body. He grows us corporately and individually. So I implore you, take this seriously. Take that that to heart and, and really consider that. So now let's look at verses 20 through 23. And like I said, we're going to group this section together. In the last section, Paul reminds the Colossians of what he talked about in verses 11 through 15, that that they have died with Christ. 
Rather, in verse 20, he's reminding them what he said in 11 through 15, that they have, they have died with Christ. So he's reminding them, look, if you have really died with Christ, if you've been buried with bap- in baptism, if you've been forgiven, if all of this has happened, then why are you still submitting to futile regulations? Why are you still submitting to the precepts and the regulations written by man? You're dead to those things. You're not alive to those things anymore. And he says that these all do indeed have an appearance of godliness. You see, maybe they've even been very convincing. I mean, from the outside looking in, it's a Christian church, isn't it? It says Jesus. They say Jesus a lot. They they open up a Bible. They sing songs about God. Surely this is fine. It's a convincing argument. But notice a church closely. Notice a preacher closely by what he teaches. Does he exalt Christ? New Life Baptist Church, examine me in the day that I begin to teach a different gospel and a different Jesus. Call me out on it, for I am just a man like everyone else. We must preach Christ and Him crucified. And that must be our mission and our calling card and all that we are about. So, this must be of of ultimate importance, of, of the utmost importance. Why? Because everything else is just a shadow, a vague misrepresentation of the real thing, of the substance which is found in Christ. It has no power, anything else, no power, anything else to stop the indulgence of the flesh. It looks enticing. It looks like it's the right way. But when it comes down to having power over sin, Christ and Christ alone can give you that power. As we close today, we don't have any action steps for you to take home. Uh, You'll have to wait until next week for the beginning of chapter 3 as Paul then begins to dive into some real practical application for the Christian life. But I do have one question for us to be meditating on. The question is this. Ask yourself this. Prayerfully consider this. Am I living in the shadow instead of the substance? So many times we get carried away with things that just don't matter. They're just not as important as knowing Christ. Sometimes we get carried away with, with Christian duty and forget Christian devotion. So often we, we begrudgingly go to our Bibles. We begrudgingly hit our, 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 our knees in prayer. And in those moments... Ask, am I standing in the shadow of the substance? We do this with Bible reading, with prayer, with attending church, with even listening to a live stream. 
We make what we're doing about the action itself. But know that the actions, the Christian actions, the responsibilities, the things that we do, that is not where the power is found. We do these things because the power is found from Christ in us. And this is why we must remind ourselves often, if I have died with Christ, why am I submitting myself again to these silly things? Why am I falling for these same old games again when I have died to these things? I'm not alive to the world anymore. I am dead to the world and alive in Christ. Because there is nothing quite as joy-robbing as religious duty. Ask the Lord in prayer, have I abandoned my devotion to Christ? Have I abandoned my love for Christ, my awe in him? Have I, have I fellowshiped with him? Do I commune with the Spirit? Or am I just going through the motions, living a Christian life without the Christian life inside of me? Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it's just so rich and so powerful, Lord. I thank you that I thank you that the power is not found in anything else. The power is not found in me, in my, in my preaching, or, or in anybody else's discipline. But the power is found in Christ, that Christ alone may be glorified. God, I thank you that it works out this way. I thank you that you, you set it up this way, God. I thank you for this, Lord. God, I thank you for giving us this opportunity to gather here this morning in this live stream and open up your word. Lord, and I pray that whoever needed to hear this this morning, that they heard it, that the word fell on fertile soil and that it will bear fruit in their life for your glory, Lord. I pray that you will draw people into yourself by your spirit, through your word. I pray, Lord, that you won't let us rest if, if we have been um, just being okay with, with the, the shadow and replacing the substance with the shadow. I pray that you would not leave us alone, but that you would constantly convict us until we turn from those things and hold fast to the substance, Lord. I thank you for the work of the cross. I thank you for redeeming us, Lord. I pray for all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Grace, peace, and mercy to you all.